0: Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
1: Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us.
0: On today's program, one of the board members who went public with concerns at radio station WPOZ down in Orlando called The Z has now been booted from that board. And we examine the strange legacy of Harold Camping, a radio preacher who falsely predicted the end of the world 10 years ago this month.
1: We begin today with the story of a new Bible translation that includes singer Lee Greenwood's licensed lyrics to God Bless the USA, as well as the America's Pledge of Allegiance.
0: Yeah, marketing the Bible, uh, this particular Bible, got off to kind of a rough start. Uh, The Custom Bible's Tennessee-based seller is a marketing firm called Elite Source Pro, led by a guy named Hugh Kirkpatrick. But Elite? Source Pro lost its contract with Zondervan, Thomas Nelson, and HarperCollins who have all decided to drop the project. The God Bless the USA Bible includes the full texts of the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, and Declaration of Independence, as well as the Pledge of Allegiance, all inserted without commentary. The Bible was marketed for pre-sale at $49.95, and had originally been expected to ship September of this year to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks.
1: So why did Zondervan, Thomas Nelson, and HarperCollins drop the project.
0: Well, a combination of reasons. One of the leaders of an online petition drive to stop the sale of the Bible is John Moorhead. And he said that the Bible is a toxic mix that will exacerbate the challenges to American evangelicalism and add fuel to the Christian nationalism and anti-Muslim sentiments found in many segments of the evangelical church.
1: But I understand that the project is going to go ahead anyway.
0: Yes, it will. Art Kirkpatrick, the guy running the project, said that he has about 700 pre-orders and he still plans to get the Bible printed and distributed.
1: Well, our next story is the latest in our ongoing coverage of the radio station WPOZ in Orlando.
0: Yeah, Carter Kenyon was a board member and an employee of WPOZ. That's the Orlando radio station that has been embroiled in controversy for both governance and management issues. WPOZ's parent organization is called Z Ministries. It's better known in the radio world as The Z or Z883.
1: But he's no longer on the
0: board. No, that's right. Last week, Ministry Watch reported that he was fired from his position at the station for speaking publicly about the troubles at WPOZ. And then last Thursday, he was removed from his role as a board member. Uh, With Carter Kenyon's removal from the board of Z Ministries, it appears that the board now has only four members and only one outside member. But
1: the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, or the ECFA, requires at least five board members with a majority of them being independent.
0: Yeah, it does. And that helps to explain why Z Ministries is not a member, couldn't qualify for membership of the ECFA.
1: So how did this story start?
0: Well, Ministry Watch began reporting on troubles at WPOZ back in mid-April when President Jim Hogue engaged in what he called a ruse in order to prevent a competing Christian radio station from entering the Orlando market. Several staff members thought that the ruse, however, was more than just a joke. And they said it was deceptive and they actually quit uh, their jobs at the station. Others, including James Davis, spoke out. Davis was fired for his attempts to shed light on the situation. Now, a week later, Ministry Watch published an article revealing that WPOZ had a founder's protection clause in the bylaws of Z Ministries, and that made it very difficult for the board even if it was independent, which of course we've already identified it is not, from firing Jim Hogan's president.
1: Now, the ECFA and other nonprofit experts we've talked to have said that those kind of clauses are rare.
0: Yeah, that's right. David Baia is an attorney who specializes in nonprofit law, and he's helped incorporate what he said was many hundreds of nonprofit organizations. And he said that he's seen the issue come up only a very few times, usually in the context of private foundations. He also said that he tries to talk founders out of incorporating such clauses into their bylaws a nonprofit organization he said is not a business you own rather it is for the public good and not for personal gain and he also added that strict clauses that don't allow termination for cause could prevent the board from exercising their fiduciary responsibility, which appears to be what's happening now at Z Ministries. As a result of the recent troubles at WPOZ, at least six staff members have been fired or resigned in the past three weeks, and that's out of a staff of less than 40 people.
1: Warren, this is an interesting story, but it also sounds like a local story. So why did you want to cover it?
0: Well, because lots of ministries are dealing with what nonprofit experts call founders syndrome, Uh, how to deal with a founder who has come to believe that the ministry belongs to him. Uh, This story provides guidance for some things to do and not do to prevent a ministry from succumbing to this founder's syndrome. Also, the story is shining a light on practices that have unfortunately uh, been going on for many years in Christian radio. I've been pleased to note that this story has motivated a conversation on Christian radio social media groups about the management of Christian ministries and Christian radio stations in particular. It's a conversation that many insiders say is long overdue.
1: Another organization that we've been following for a while is Kennecook Camps in Missouri. And there was a new development there recently also.
0: Yeah, there was another lawsuit involving one of Cannecook's former counselors. Uh, an anonymous John Doe plaintiff has sued a former counselor, Peter Newman, um, at for civil damages, a former counselor at Cannecook camp, I should say, for civil damages. According to court documents and reports on the case in the Springfield News Leader, the plaintiff says that he suffered sex abuse while he attended uh, a Christian youth camp based near Branson. That would be Cannecook. Uh, Cannecook, though, is not named as a defendant. Former Cannecook camp counselor Peter Newman, as I said, is. And he is already serving two life sentences plus 30 years for uh, convictions on other, or actually I should say plea deals on other sexual abuse cases. And as we previously reported, um, he's been convicted of seven felony counts on sexually abusing boys, uh, all of them in connection with his role as Kennecook. The new suit seeks $5 million in damages against Newman.
1: Accusations of sex abuse regarding Newman and then other former counselors at Kennecook have been in the news since a group of abuse victims and their families created a website called com.
0: Yeah, the site claims that, and I'm quoting here, Cannecook's reputation and reach conceals a dark secret. For decades, Joe White and the other camp leaders knew about and facilitated sexual abuse against scores of children. Cannecook Camp is one of the largest Christian camps in the country. Each summer, more than 20,000 kids from ages 7 to 17 pay thousands of dollars to stay at the camp. Uh, some of the most prominent leaders in the evangelical world have either worked with the camp uh, or its leaders, Joe and debbie Joe Y.
1: Warren, let's look at one more story before the break, and that's a new development in the case of abuse at another Missouri organization, the Circle of Hope Ranch.
0: Yeah, the pastor of a church formerly attended by the owners of the Circle of Hope Ranch, which is a Christian boarding school, Um, is now saying that His earlier defense of those owners was improper. Uh, The owners of the ranch are Boyd and Stephanie Householder. They have been charged with 102 crimes. Those charges came back in March by the Missouri Attorney General's office, and they include statutory rape, sodomy, and physical abuse. In a statement that this pastor released to the Kansas City Star, um, Jerry Pyle, who's the pastor of Bible Baptist Church of Vernon County, said that he was wrong to say at the time that the charges were untrue. His statement said, in the process of seeking help for the householders, I made the statement that the charges were false. To make that statement at this time was completely improper. Pyle said that he cannot personally vouch for conduct that may or may not have taken place at the school, and although he had never seen any evidence that the abuse was happening or had happened, the fact that we did not observe such evidence does not prove that abuse never took place. And he said that householders had also only been members of his church uh, for a few months since June of 2020, whenever all of these charges uh, started coming out. The Circle of Hope Girls Ranch closed in September of 2020 after accusations of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse were brought uh, by several girls who lived at the ranch. And then of course, as I said earlier, the charges came in March of this year. Uh, The charges, by the way, included some by the householder's own daughter. Well,
1: Warren, we need to take a break, but later in the program, news about Russell Moore's departure from the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Let's continue with the story of a former Alabama pastor who got out of jail early. And in fact, it was very early.
0: Yeah, an Alabama pastor and Christian school principal who was in prison for sexually assaulting children was released on May 19th after serving just five and a half years of a 15-year sentence. Mac Charles Alexander Jr. is 61 years old. He was arrested in October of 2013 on multiple counts of rape, sexual abuse, attempted rape, sodomy, and sexual torture involving at least nine minors. He pleaded guilty in November of 2015.
1: Warren, that sounds horrible.
0: Well, it is, and I'm leaving out a lot of details because I want to keep this as family-friendly as possible that are even more horrible. Uh, but I will add that Andrews uh, had served as a pastor of Thomasville's First United Pentecostal Church and an assistant principal at the church's school, uh, Faith Christian Academy, during the 1980s and the 1990s.
1: So why is he getting out so
0: early? Well, Andrews had asked for reconsideration of his sentence uh, almost a year and a half ago in January of 2020, asserting that the stress of his arrest and a lack of medical treatment for his what he called uncontrollable diabetes led him to sign the plea agreement when now he says he wouldn't have signed it. He received credit for the two years he was in jail awaiting trial, and he was also credited for good time, uh, having no infractions while he was incarcerated uh, before being released. And I should add, he got no parole either. He was just released. He will, though, have to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life.
1: Warren, let's move on to the story of Russell Moore. Um, It seems as though controversy has followed him during his tenure as the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.
0: Yeah, he has had his fair share of controversy, but that's in part uh, the nature of the job. His role is to speak out on public matters that are inherently controversial. Uh, but I will say that I've known Russell Moore for at least as long as he's had this job, which is to say since 2013. I've interviewed him probably a dozen times over the years, and despite what some of his critics say about him, he's conservative, pro-life, pro-traditional marriage, the one position he took that got him in the most trouble was opposing the presidential candidacy of Donald Trump.
1: So is that why he finally left?
0: Well, it is in part, uh, at least. uh, Moore has told those close to him that the years of attack have indeed taken a toll on him and his family. But honestly, I don't think that's the main reason. It's true that Moore's position on Trump captured headlines, for example, Moore called Trump an arrogant huckster early in Donald Trump's first campaign, but his position on immigration was in fact very similar to that of his predecessor, Richard Land, and his support of sexual abuse victims in the Southern Baptist Convention was seen by many as a step in the right direction for that denomination. I think the bigger story here is Not what he's running from, but what he is running towards. Moore is taking a job with Christianity Today to lead an initiative on the role of religion in civil society, and I think that's going to be a great fit for him.
1: So what happens next for the Southern Baptist Convention?
0: Well, that's a good question, and far from a settled question. Uh, the divides in the SBC have been exacerbated by the denomination's significant decline in numbers, and different factions are blaming the others uh, for that decline. The SBC's membership peaked in 2006-2006. 15 years ago at about 16.3 million members. According to data released on Thursday of last week, there are now only about 14 million Southern Baptists. I say only, they're still the largest Protestant denomination in the country, but that's a decline of 2.3 million from its peak.
1: Well, next up, uh, Wheaton College is rewording a plaque on its campus that referred to indigenous people as, quote, Savage Indians.
0: Yeah, the plaque honors missionaries Jim Elliott, Ed McCauley, Nate Saint, Roger Yudarian, and Pete Fleming, who were killed in nineteen fifty six while attempting to share the gospel with the Warani people in Ecuador.
1: That was 65 years ago this year, and it's still one of the defining moments of the modern evangelical movement.
0: You're right. It was. Their deaths inspired thousands of young Christians to become missionaries and millions more. And I would include myself in this category, who read the books of Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's uh, wife, widow, and were challenged to examine their own commitment to Christ.
1: But the way that they'll be remembered at Wheaton will be altered a bit.
0: Yeah, that's right, too. Uh, The plaque in question was donated to the school in 1957 by Wheaton's class of 1949. Uh, That was the year that both Elliot and McCully graduated. It was done in remembrance of those martyred classmates. Now, Nate Sane also graduated from Wheaton, but a year later. Uh, Wheaton's president, Philip Rikens, said, and I'm quoting here, in the years since the college received this gift, we have continued to grow in our understanding of how to show God's love and respect to people from every culture. We have also learned much more about God's ongoing work among the Warani. Uh, We welcome the opportunity to ensure that we tell this unforgettable story in ways that reflect the full dignity of people who were made in the image of God.
1: So the word savage was taken off of the plaque.
0: Yeah, it was. And while I think that this was generally a smart move by the school. I should also note that by God's grace, some of the Warani people became Christians. And in the early 2000s, some of them actually toured the United States, uh, telling what you might call the rest of the story. In fact, I heard Minkaye, uh, one of the Warani who came to the United States. In fact, he was one of the men who actually participated in the murder of Jim Elliott and his friends. And Do you know how he described himself before he met Jesus?
1: I don't, but let me guess, was the word savage in his description?
0: Well, as a matter of fact, it was. In fact, the name of the tribe was Alka, which means savage. Uh, They were known for their violence. Uh, Still, I, I do think that the new name of the tribe, the Warani, is most appropriate because uh, they are savages no more. As Menkaye himself said, we used to live badly, but then they brought us God's carvings. That's the word of God, of course, and now we walk his trail.
1: Warren, before we take another break, let's look at a former radio preacher that some say left God's trail before he died, and that man is Harold Camping.
0: Yeah, Harold Camping is a really interesting um, uh, character, I guess you could say. He was a radio preacher from California. He built up one of the largest Christian radio networks in the nation, but then in 2011, he became known for predicting the end of the world. And the reason it's significant now, we're talking about it now, is that that was 10 years ago this week. And I'm quoting from uh, Harold Camping himself. May 21st, there's going to be a terrific earthquake, way bigger than anything the earth has ever experienced, and that'll be the beginning of Judgment Day.
1: And that obviously did not happen.
0: No, it did not. (laughs) But many people believed him, and they sent him money because, well— You know, if the world's coming to an end, they weren't going to need it anymore. And uh, the money that they sent uh, Harold Camping, he used on a multi-million dollar advertising campaign warning about the impending apocalypse.
1: So the end did not happen, and thanks to the ad campaign, now millions of people know it was a spectacular fail.
0: Yeah, that's right. But amazingly, people continued to believe camping and continued to send him money. He died a few years later in 2013, but his ministry, Family Radio, has continued, and they've spent the last decade trying to distance themselves from camping, who started out relatively normal and mainstream before adopting these strange and, frankly, heretical beliefs near the end of his life.
1: And this week is the 10th anniversary of his false predictions.
0: Yeah, and it has become an opportunity for the current leadership at Family Radio to say that they're not the same organization that we remember when camping was in charge. Uh, They now have more mainstream programming, for example. And uh, I wanted to feature them because one of the problems that they had there was board governance. Camping controlled the board, the same thing that we saw at Z Ministries, WPLZ in Orlando. And that meant that when he started to go off the rails, there was nothing uh, that either the board of directors or the employees of the the organization could do.
1: So now that camping is gone, what has happened?
0: Well, Family Radio has completely sanitized its airways and its website of Herald Camping, but uh, they haven't broken even financially since 2012 and amazingly some of camping's former staff at family radio have begun an internet program to broadcast and promote camping's older teachings and those bizarre beliefs continue to this day
1: warren we're going to take another break when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news of the week i'm christina darnell along with my co-host warren smith more in a moment
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses partner college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what do you have first?
0: Well, up first is a new study from Lifeway Research uh, suggesting that more Protestant churches closed in 2019 than opened. And that continues a decades-long congregational slide that Lifeway says could be expected to accelerate in the years ahead.
1: Well, the numbers have looked not great for years, so are they really worse now?
0: Yeah, they are. Uh, You know, I dug into this issue when I wrote my 2009 book, A Lover's Quarrel with the Evangelical Church. That was 12 years ago, and I discovered in my research then that churches were closing at the rate of almost 10 per day. Today, they're closing at the rate of 13 to 15 per day.
1: But aren't new churches starting?
0: Well, they are, uh, but not at the rate that they're closing. Uh, I wouldn't, though, despair just yet. Uh, There are still more than 300,000 churches in this country. And as the Bible says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In fact, when these data released this week, both Russell Moore, who we mentioned earlier in the podcast, and Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York tweeted that this might just be God separating the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, cultural Christians uh, from those who are committed to the gospel. And there may be some truth to that, since the dying churches do tend to be in those denominations that have departed from the biblical gospel message.
1: But churches have also been the social glue of many communities.
0: Yeah, they have been. And John Stone Street, uh, my friend and former Colson Center colleague, made that very point in one of his breakpoint commentaries this week. He concluded, yes, it may not be a terrible thing that liberal and non-biblical churches are shutting down, but the lack of urgency at planting newer, biblically sound churches is bad both for the gospel and for the country. And, you know, I think John is right, and Russell Moore and Tim Keller are right. Good riddance to cultural Christians, but alas for the relatively few reliable Bible-preaching churches that are being planted anew in this country.
1: Well, moving along in the lightning round, Warren, we have new financial information about Salem Media Group.
0: Yeah, Salem Media Group is one of the largest Christian broadcasters in the country and the only one that is publicly traded. Uh, They recently released their results for the first quarter of the calendar year ending March 31, 2021. And after several quarters of decline, it finally has grown slightly uh, and showed a small operating profit. I don't want to bore you with a lot of numbers, uh, but they're all on our website. So if you want to dig into it, you can go to ministrywatch.com and see the story right on the front page. But I will, will say this in summary, that they're still in pretty poor health financially, but at least for the moment, they're stable.
1: And then who do you have in the ministry spotlight this week?
0: Well, on the same topic of Christian radio, which we've been talking about a little (laughs) bit here on this program, uh, we've featured KSBJ Educational Foundation. They're also known as Hope Media Group. Now, uh, that uh, educational foundation, KSBJ Educational Foundation, operates the radio station KSBJ, uh, which was recently named the number one station in the Houston market. And I don't mean the number one Christian station, Christina. I mean, it was the top station in the market, which is a pretty significant accomplishment. And I've got to confess, in a spirit of full disclosure, the president at KSBJ is a good friend of mine, Joe Paulo. I got to know Joe when he was the general manager of WRCM here in Charlotte, where I live. He's a great guy, and the success he's achieved there is well deserved. And by the way, if you'd like to check out the financials of the station and read their, their mission and ministry statements, you can go to the Ministry Watch website, ministrywatch.com.
1: And finally, who are we featuring in the Ministries Making a Difference column?
0: Well, Christina, since you wrote that column, I should let you tell us.
1: (laughs) Then I will. This week, uh, I featured China Aid, which is helping to resettle Christians who are fleeing from persecution in China to here in the United States. And World Vision, which is hoping to raise a billion dollars by 2023 to help 60 million people lift themselves out of extreme poverty amid the aftershocks of COVID-19. And their campaign is called Every Last One, and it's their largest capital campaign to date, and it's going to focus on 50 of the poorest countries in the world. Um, and then also Samaritan's Purse, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and Mercy Chefs got mentions this week.
0: Yeah, and by the way, the president of China Aid, the organization that you just mentioned, is Bob Fu, and he was the recipient of of the Wilberforce Award at the most recent Wilberforce Weekend hosted by the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. So I wanted to do a quick shout out and congratulations to Bob Fu for this honor and to the Colson Center for pulling off what is maybe the first big Christian event post COVID. They had about a thousand people show up in person in Fort Worth last weekend, and it appears to have gone off without a hitch.
1: Well, before we go, any quick notes?
0: Well, just a quick reminder that it's not too late to make a donation to Ministry Watch during the month of May. If you do, you'll receive a copy of the classic book, Mission Drift, as our thank you gift. But you do have to act quickly as this offer ends May 31st, which this year is Memorial Day. Uh, Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Christopher Hutton, Emily McFarlane Miller, Bob Smitana, Ann Steich, Megan Clark, and you, Warren. Thank you to the Nonprofit Times and Religion Unplugged for contributing material to this week's program. I'm Christina Darnell in Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: And I'm Warren Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte.
1: And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.